Hi, everybody. Before we get into it today, I wanted to give a shout out to my sponsor, the Electronic Specifier Insights Podcast. I'll always try and keep the ads at the beginning of these episodes very short, but I have a hand in picking every single person who advertises on this program as well. Uh, they're ones that provide value to me, and so I hope you'll get value out of them as well. So give them a listen here real fast. The Electronic Specifier Insights podcast is dedicated to asking the big questions of the electronic industry's biggest players. Electronics and technology are becoming increasingly integral across all aspects of daily life and within society as a whole. Check out the Electronic Specifier Insights podcast at www.electronicspecifier.com. I'm Grant, an engineering and technology leader who will share the secrets of IT with you. Listen up, because we're about to get into it. Let's talk about leadership styles. In order to cover this topic, we're going to be looking a lot at the military before we start and expand leadership into the civilian sector and IT and business in particular. I like to start with the military whenever I talk about leadership because the military for millennia has been the proving grounds for what works and what doesn't work when leading people to accomplish a mission. Modern business practices are all about accomplishing a mission or a goal. As a software developer or an engineer or an engineering leader, you are supporting the goals of the business as well. So being an effective leader is super important for you in order to have a high performing team. And while I recognize that not everybody listening to this may feel like it's their team to lead, I'll tell you firsthand, it doesn't matter if you are an entry-level engineer or the person whose responsibility it actually is to lead the team, leadership doesn't care about your title. Leadership is a mindset and a way that you approach work in order to rally people together to accomplish a goal. And you don't have to be given the responsibility of leader on a team in order to be a leader on that team. So this topic is relevant to everybody from entry-level all the way up through to a senior leader in the company. Now let's turn our attention back to the military and look at the American armed forces in the Revolutionary War. When the military was first established in the U.S., it only had three branches. The Continental Army, the Continental Navy, and the Continental Marines all were under the command of General George Washington. Its size was very far from where it is today. As of 2018, we had 1.4 million active duty members in the U.S. Armed Forces. But in George Washington's times, uh, the estimates vary between 50 to 80,000 people. That's it. And the reason why the, this matters so much is that the U.S. military was going up against the most powerful military in the entire world during the Revolutionary War. Britain was known as the most powerful, most disciplined armed forces of anybody. And so the U.S. was definitely at a disadvantage being a ragtag bunch of militia and former soldiers themselves, but definitely not up to the fighting power of Great Britain. Now, there's a bunch of reasons why the U.S. won the Revolutionary War. Uh, the first and foremost, I think, is probably because we were fighting for a cause that we believed in and Britain was fighting to just continue control over the United States. So we put our blood, sweat, and tears into that battle, whereas Britain, they were fighting for the crown and they probably cared, but probably not as much as if their home were under attack. So we put in a ton of effort there. But one of the, the top items here, top five reasons, is that the U.S. military was quick to respond to Great Britain. 
So while Great Britain had a very powerful military, the way that they conducted themselves in battle was a very centralized command, and it took a very long time for them to change their tactics or strategy in battle. They were very uh, focused on the rules for war, where two opposing armies would stand there in the middle of a field and kind of fire volley after volley of musket balls across the field at each other. And so America realized that we were outnumbered. We definitely did not have the amount of force to be able to go back and trade volleys with Britain. So we had militiamen and other groups kind of crop up and we preferred guerrilla warfare where we would sabotage their supply chains and then cause damage to their army that way. So it made it very difficult for them to fight us because we had small units that were uh, quick to maneuver, attack and retreat and just overall harass Britain's forces. So I hope you can see the picture that I'm trying to create in your mind here. On one hand, you have a giant, powerful military that's big, follows chain of command and rules of engagement, but is very slow to react to changes on the battlefield. That would be Britain. On the other hand, we've got the United States Army, and it is broken up into smaller units that can move quickly, they can make decisions on the front lines and change the strategy of the battle as it unrolls. They don't have to go back to General Washington and ask for permission to make changes. They can just change things on the battlefield. And so you can see how that eventually ended up winning the Revolutionary War, uh, but being able to react quickly to a changing battlefield was super important to the Americans during the Revolutionary War. Now that's just one example, so let's move forward into World War II. In World War II, you have two sides. You have the Axis powers and the Allies. The Allied forces eventually won World War II, but the Axis powers led by Hitler and Nazi Germany actually had superior battlefield tactics. It wasn't until after World War II when the Allied forces won that they investigated what made the German army so effective, and they came to the discovery that it had a lot to do with how they led their troops in battle. In this example, we actually find that the United States preferred a centralized command system, just like the Brits did during the Revolutionary War. The Germans in World War II utilized a decentralized command style. That's what the Americans used in the Revolutionary War, where you have small self-organizing groups of uh, military people making decisions on the battlefield in the moment without having to run it all the way up their chain of command. And bear with me here for a second, I don't speak German, so in my most American accent, I'll say this leadership style uh, followed by the Germans was called Auftragstaktik, and it was also known as Mission Command. It dates back as far as the Prussian Empire as a systematic method to defeat brilliant commanders such as Napoleon Bonaparte. And right here, I'm going to kind of go on a side conversation here about the Prussian Empire. Now, Prussia did lose to Napoleon. They were only one of five separate countries who had joined in a coalition to defeat Napoleon. And so Napoleon, taking his massive army, which was able to actually uh, respond very, very quickly on the battlefield, uh, Napoleon was a mastermind at battlefield tactics. So, But he had a massive army, and he went up against a coalition of five different uh, militaries. And Prussia was one of the few, if not the only, group of uh, people who knew how to defeat Napoleon, and their tactics would have actually worked. It was the same tactics that Germany used in World War II to quickly uh, self-organize and respond to changes on the battlefield in the moment without having to run things up through the chain of command again. 
And the reason why Napoleon did conquer this coalition of forces is because Prussia was the only group to follow this decentralized command model. The other four uh, military units decided to stick with the command and control model, which is way too slow to conquer a superior sized and disciplined force like Napoleon's army. So Prussia ultimately lost, but the tactics were sound. And I've used a couple of terms up to this point. Uh, one is decentralized command and the other one is centralized command. And as you can probably uh, uh, infer, they're the opposite of one another. Centralized command basically means you have a central figure, a leader of your military, making decisions for all of the troops on the battlefield. So you've got your frontline troops who are taking orders from their leaders, who are taking orders all the way down the chain of command from the top, a general who's leading that military effort. That's the way that people usually think of the military running, is someone in control telling others what to do and barking orders. But the decentralized command model basically takes that authority from the top of the chain and gives it to the people on the front lines who are in the thick of the battle. Now, the decentralized command model doesn't have to give 100% of the choices to the person on the battlefield. There's still like a strategic view of the war that we're, with goals that we're trying to accomplish. But when it comes to the tactical, if you are storming into a building, you don't want to have to radio back to your commanding officer and ask for permission to open a door. You should be empowered to open that door or not open that door and to figure out how to open that door in the best way possible based on you and your immediate unit uh, who's in that specific scenario. And so you can imagine if you had to run all of your decisions up through the chain of command before you make any chain, any uh, take any action on the battlefield, then it's going to take a very long time to change decisions that were made before you got into the thick of the situation. So decentralized command is a really great model to follow if you have a changing situation on your hands. So how does a person know what the right decision is to make in a decentralized command model? You think that everybody's going to make decisions a different way. And so one of the ways that you can ensure everybody who is on the battlefield makes the right decision is through this whole idea and concept of commander's intent. Basically, when you have to make a decision on the battlefield in a split second, you can kind of think to yourself, what would the decision that my commander would make, what would that be? And so you kind of put your shoes, you put yourself in the shoes of your commanding officer. And if you know the kinds of decisions that they make or the goals that they are trying to accomplish on the battlefield, the decisions that you make in the moment can be aligned with those goals and ultimately produce a successful outcome. If you want to learn more about this whole concept of commander's intent, I got two resources for you. I'll link to them in the episode notes. The first is called uh, Turn the Ship Around, which is a story by David Marquette. And uh, I think the video does a really great job of kind of summing up this whole idea of commander's intent. To give you an idea, it's more of this whole military leadership thing. So David Marquette was a captain of a submarine, and he goes through the journey of a centralized command model in that environment through a uh, transformation into a decentralized command model. And it's a fascinating journey, uh, and I highly recommend you give it a watch. It's not too long, about 10 minutes. Uh, it's time well spent. The second resource I got for you is a book. Staying on theme here, it's another book about military 
tactics and uh, a movement to decentralize command, but it's called Team of Teams, and it's a book by General Stanley McChrystal. It talks about the war in Afghanistan and how when America first went to war against Al-Qaeda, we were actually losing the war uh, because we were very heavy in the centralized command model. When we fought uh, terrorist groups, they were very quick to change their tactics on the battlefield, and so we just couldn't keep up with them, and we were losing. And um, so the military had to go through this transformation yet again from centralized command into a decentralized command model to quickly respond to a changing battlefield. And once we did that, we started to turn the tide on the war. And you can see uh, in the modern day and age that how much we rely on smaller unit tactics like the Navy SEALs to go in the small strike forces to really run our military these days because of how quickly people can change the decision-making process on the battlefield. I think probably the internet and cell phones and our, our constant connectivity kind of plays into this of things changing rapidly. And so you can see how that has kind of informed the way that we go about fighting wars in the modern era. So it's another great resource. It's a a wonderful book to kind of show you the benefits of decentralized command model and how to make a an organization transform itself to more closely align uh, with that model. So if you've stuck with me this far, you may be thinking to yourself, Grant, dude, this is like an IT podcast, isn't it? Why are we spending so much time on military and leadership? Well, I'll tell you why. Modern software development is 100% about decentralized command. So let's start with our business, right? Because technology and software and IT, these are all things that help accelerate a business. So you've got your business. You've got goals for your business. What are you trying to do? You're trying to produce a product for a given market. Why? Because you want them to use your product. What are you doing? You're trying to undercut your competitors. So there are other people who are playing in this market as well, developing products, trying to take ownership of the market. So you have to fight against them somehow, either by lowering the cost of your product, getting to market more rapidly than they are, better servicing the needs of, your, of the consumer. All of these things kind of play together to pretty much, in my mind at least, it sounds like a battle, the battlefield out there, right? You've got players on a battlefield, who were trying to outmaneuver one another. And the person who can maneuver the quickest is the one who generally dominates the market, right? We call it the first mover advantage. So companies and market are the new kingdom and territories struggle. It's still a battlefield out there. It just the terms have changed a little bit. So in the year 2021, I think everybody can look at technology, cell phones, communication, the internet, and see that the needs of the consumer are changing more rapidly today than they were 20 or 30 years ago. Businesses have to con constantly be pushing the, the bar and the envelope to change and better suit the needs of the consumer or these companies are, are fizzling out entirely, um, almost overnight it seems. I think most of us can see the, uh, the Sears, the JCPenney, um, let's see here, the Kmarts of the world, those have all gone under within the past 20 years, but not just department stores. We even have tech companies like Yahoo is uh, nowhere near where it used to be. Uh, we also have Netscape Navigator disappeared. 
AOL, not quite the powerhouse that it used to be. And most of these companies, the reason why they've gone under or have slowed down or have lost their market share is because they failed to adapt to the needs of their customers and competitors like Amazon or Google came in and snatched up the market out from underneath them. And finally, we make it full circle here from uh, business back into technology as an enabler of our business. Our businesses have goals. IT is an enabler for those goals. Who works in IT? People. So how do you rally people towards a common goal? Through leadership. And how do we learn about how to lead people well? From the military. So let's apply this directly to the folks in IT, the software engineering teams. As a software engineer, I can make hundreds of decisions every day. If I had to run these decisions by someone else for approval, then my work would come to a halt. I have to be empowered as the person closest to the decision point to make the decisions and move on. I went to college, I got a degree, I'm a professional at doing this stuff. I have to be able to make the decisions. But how can I be trusted to make a decision? Well, mainly by understanding what the goals of my team are. This is where Agile Software Development comes into play and why I am such a huge proponent and backer of Agile Software Development. Agility is all about how to build the right product. And the model is intended to empower teams to self-organize around a common goal, break the work into small pieces, and deliver these pieces rapidly. Working in small batches allows teams to adjust their approach if the market dictates a change in a larger goal. It's a decentralized command model. Now, you can think about these goals just like a hierarchy. At the team level, you have bits of work or stories done by individuals who all contribute into a larger goal, which we usually call an MVP, right? A minimum viable product, but it's little tiny goals all feed into a larger goal. And ideally, this larger goal at the team level is just one of many goals across multiple teams that feed into an organizational level goal. And as it goes so on up the chain all the way to your CEO, that's how it's supposed to be organized. But usually this whole model in most large enterprises stops at the team level because there are not very many leaders within an organization who understand how to take their team level goals and align it up the chain, right? Many companies are still in this waterfall uh, mindset or approach based on an old financial model where they get approved a year in advance. But I don't want to dwell on waterfall and the woes of a one to three year budget determined in advance. I want to focus on agility and decentralized command because we can control this pretty easily at the team level. And we can see the results when teams deliver rapidly into production with small changes and you can get a product in a month that's like, you know, probably a half baked product but it does the job and you can get some feedback on it from your customers and then you can iterate and make it better over time. So at the end of a year, you have a very awesome product that was constantly being corrected and adjusted throughout the year and finally does everything your customer ever wanted it to do versus the old model, a centralized command waterfall model, where you sit in isolation for a year and build this grand awesome product that by the time it finally gets into the hands of your customer, it doesn't even do the job that they wanted anymore. The, their goals have veered so off trap, track over the course of that year that what you were building to a year prior is no longer the target state, right? You didn't adjust to the changing market. So that software development model does not work in 2021. So as a leader on your team, not as a manager, 
not as a director, but as a leader on your team. How can you support this decentralized command model? Well, you can't have decentralized command until you have a few other pieces in place first. The first one is a strong team. Care for your teammates. We're people. If someone on your team is having a hard day, ask them if you can help them out. Business only exists to meet the needs of people. So we have to keep people first and foremost in our minds, no matter what it is that we are doing at work. It's all about the people and our teammates. So keep them in mind, try and care for one another. This also reinforces a foundation of trust on the team. If you trust one another, then there's no goal that's going to be out of reach. Step number two is to keep your plans and your goals simple. If people can't understand your plans or your goals, they can't work towards them. So make them simple. Step three is to prioritize your work and execute down the list. If you are not prioritizing your work, then any random interruption can come in and derail your goals. You must always prioritize your work and you must always work on the most important thing first down to the least important thing. If you have skipped down to priority number six on your list, then why is it priority six and not priority number one? You have to focus on number one, work down the list and don't take on the whole list at the same time because that means all of those are the same level priority. You don't want to work in multitask, right? Like you prioritized your list for a reason. Work on number one, and if it becomes blocked for some reason, then go ahead and pick up number two at the same time, but recognize that you have just put off your top priority in order to pick up your second level priority. But prioritize your list and work down the list. The fourth one here is finally decentralized command. Once you get steps one, two, and three in place, then you're ready for decentralized command. It will not work if you go out of order for this list. By the time you get to step three, you should be considering adopting an agile model like Scrum or one of the many different flavors or varieties out there. I like Scrum, it's my favorite. Uh, Kanban works for certain types of uh, ticket-driven work. And in general, Kanban and Scrum are the two flavors that have the least amount of overhead and uh, extra work associated with them. They get really down to the bare principles of how to quickly deliver value rapidly into an organization. And so if you take my list of four things here and you couple it with an agile framework, then you are set up to be a very highly performing decentralized command style team. So there you have it. That is your quick overview of command and control models and decentralized command. I wish I could say that I came to all of these conclusions on my own, but as usual, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. So big thank you to David Barquette and his Turn the Ship Around, and then General Stanley McChrystal and his book Team of Teams. I'd also like to um, suggest Jocko Willink and his Extreme Ownership Muster. He is the one who really spelled out those four steps, but I took it and uh, am trying to relate it directly into the information technology industry because Jocko is clearly not an IT guy, uh, but he is a military guy and he does know leadership very well. And thank you for listening. Uh, I had a blast putting this episode together, so I would love it if you'd give it a rating and uh, send me an email at hello at grantdryden.com. Tell me about your struggles or journey with Agile and Decentralized Command. Did any of the stuff that I talked about today ring true with you? What's your experience? Let me know. And uh, I will see you again next time. <music>